0: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being so kind to Pastor Gabe and Judy and Debbie and myself. We are, you've heard this before, but it's true, we're the most blessed people here. We have the, not only the honor and the privilege of serving God, but serving people that God loves and getting to know people that we would never know any other way. And it is an amazing gift and treasure. And just like Jeremy said, um, You know, talking about uh, tomorrow being the last day of the month, we are less than a month away from Thanksgiving. And I'm sure there are many of you that are already, but there are many of us that are not. (laughs) And then we're less than two months away. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) from Christmas. And you know what? It's amazing because there are people that are already just dialed in for Christmas. And then there are some of us that, you know, we know it's two months over, over less than two months away, and we're working on it, and we'll keep working on it, and we'll probably be working on it all the way up to the night before Christmas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's... it's it's an interesting thing because we're living in, in amazing times. The Bible, Bible pointed to the days we live in and the things that are going on. And I, you may know, you may not know this man or his name, Rick Renner. He's an amazing scholar. And if you don't, I would encourage you to look him up. Um, he is one of the most knowledgeable people I know. Uh, and I gained so much from him, and he calls these days the last of the last days because it really is. All the things that we see going on uh, are not a surprise if you read what the Bible tells about, uh, about the days that we live in. And uh, if we're in these last days, the last of the last days, we've got to be prepared because what's, what's, who's coming back? Jesus. Jesus is coming back. He's he's coming back for the church, the glorious, victorious church without spot or wrinkle. And in the days that we're living in, it is so easy to get distracted, to get detoured, off the path, off track with God. There are so many things pulling at us, and and this isn't new. I talk about this on a regular basis because we deal with this every day. There are so many options, there are so many opportunities that we have to make our relationship with God just one of many things that are important to us. And yet, if we do that, we're going to miss the mark, we're going to be easily led astray. Because our relationship and and even our friendship with God is not supposed to be one among many. It is to be one above all. More important, more valuable, more influential in our lives than anything else. And yet it is an everyday battle for us to keep that priority. And not dial in something else because it became so important at that moment. It doesn't matter what has become important, nothing. Nothing should ever become more important than our relationship, our fellowship, our friendship with God. Because out of that, we're able to be who God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do. And what that is, is nothing less than supernatural. See, we're not just ordinary people. No person is ordinary. Every human being is made in the image of God. And there are some that are carrying the presence of God. Those of us that carry the presence of God because we've received Jesus as Lord of our lives... We have been empowered to live a supernatural, extraordinary life because of the presence of God with us and in us and for us. Holy Spirit is there to empower us and impart to us the very character and and fruit of God's character. The power of God is in residence in us, which should make our lives vastly different from the people that are made in the image of God but don't have the presence of God living in them. And yet we, we, we are rapidly approaching the return of the Lord, and we need to be prepared, just like Christmas being prepared. We need to be prepared for the return of the Lord and not waiting till the last moment. And in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, we've been learning about abiding, but this is, again, this is a scripture that tells us how important abiding is. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible, but there are, are things that will serve us very well if we will consider them and if we will follow them in our lives. And this is what it says, now, little children... Abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Abide in Him, that we won't be ashamed at His coming. Why would anybody be ashamed at the coming of the Lord? Well, I don't know about you, but I know that there are various times I've, I've been very ashamed. and And... The Amplified Translation says this, And now little children abide, live, remain permanently in him, so that when he is made visible, we may have and enjoy perfect confidence, boldness, assurance, and not be ashamed and shrink from him at his coming. Now the Message Translation says in the last part of that, then we'll be ready for for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses. Now, when I read that, it reminded me of, of a Christmas many, many, many years ago. Now, Christmas has always been the biggest holiday in our family. Christmas was something that my mom and dad planned for, my grandparents planned for, Uh, did all sorts of work with decorations and food and uh, um, presents, gifts. And we as kids were so excited about it. And the older we grew, the more excited we got because the presents changed. And we were so excited about the presents that we didn't care about the decorations. We didn't care about the food so much. What we cared about were the presents. Our focus was the gifts. What are we going to get? And and we were so focused on that and so self-oriented that we, one of our parts preparing for Christmas was hunting. And it wasn't out there hunting for food. There was going to be plenty of food. We were hunting for gifts. We knew they were going to be around somewhere. And we would hunt until we found them. And then we would do a terrible thing. We'd look at them. Now, why was that so bad? Because it, it really stole the joy from those that gave us gifts. Because when we opened them, we had already seen them, so there wasn't a real reaction. Now, we realized as time went on, we needed to have a reaction, so we faked it. You know how you do when you get that gift from whoever it is, and it's like, oh, oh, thank you. And they don't know if you're happy, but they're hoping you are. And so as this, this transpired, it became a real battle between my dad and my brother and myself where dad was determined we were never going to find another gift. And every year we did. And finally dad said, that's it, I'm done. And the next thing we knew, he had built a cage in the basement. (laughs) I am serious. Two by fours, wire, doors, locks, everything. (laughs) And, And we were like, what's that for? You'll find out. And as we approached Christmas, we realized that there were things that were being stacked in there. Behind the wire, the two-by-fours and the locks. And our goal (laughs) was to break in. Now, my dad wasn't the best builder. He wasn't a real fine craftsman. But he was determined of one thing, we were not going to get in there. And so we tried all different ways and finally we tried picking the lock and, and we, we even went to the point of trying to find his hacksaw to saw the lock off. And one night it was getting close to Christmas and we still hadn't gotten in. And we really wanted to know what we had. And one night, my brother and I, who we slept in bunk beds, got up in the middle of the night and went downstairs, and we had found his hacksaw. And we're sawn away. And I'm telling you, it is not fast, and it's not easy. And we're sawn and sawn and sawn and sawn, And we're so intent on sawing this lock-off to get what we want in spite of what everybody else wanted the best for us, to be able to enjoy that surprise and then enjoy the joy on our face. And we were determined to have what we wanted. And we're down there, my brother's holding the light, I'm hacksawing away, and we're just oblivious to anything else. And the next thing that happens, now our grandparents are in from out of town, and the light goes on in the basement. And we knew we were busted, but we didn't know by who. And we both turned around to see both sets of grandparents. And my mom and dad. You talk about shrinking away, being ashamed, red faced, trying to give lame excuses. I thought I thought I saw a mouse running there. I didn't want him disturbing the And it was it was terrible and i remember that because i felt so guilty because i was i was guilty of doing something i knew i shouldn't have been doing something that was going to benefit only me and rob other people and this this scripture the scripture tells us we need to abide in him so that when he appears, we won't be ashamed, we won't be red-faced, we won't be embarrassed, we won't give lame excuses. You know, I think about that moment, and then I consider, what is it what, what, what is it going to be like if I'm not abiding in Christ and he shows up? And it's not just what I'm doing right now, all the things that I've done that I haven't really repented of, I haven't stopped doing And I'm standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Holy One of Israel. The one who has given everything. So that I could have everything. And I'm trying to get away with stuff. And it's stuff, listen, it's stuff that he's already warned me is going to rob my life of the very things he has given his life to provide. It's it's an amazing thing, but it's not uncommon because we as human beings, in our humanity, we want what we want when we want it. And without God, we as human beings... We see it throughout history. We see it throughout the Bible. People without God become very self-focused, selfish, self-serving, and sacrificial of everybody else. But with God, we become selfless. We become servants. We, we consider other people more important than ourselves. We choose to give up so that we can give out, just like God has done for us. And so this abiding is so incredibly important because it's what helps us be, get free and stay free of this selfish pull in our lives. Because without God, we do whatever we want, whatever we think is right. And that's where we see in judges, chapter 21 verse 25, and that this occurs in another place in judges. And judges is a book where, It's telling us what happened with Israel when they would depart from God, just kind of migrate away from God, do their own thing, and how things got bad, they would be uncomfortable, they would be in danger, they would be damaged, and God would send a judge. And that judge would come in and proclaim what God had said, remind Israel what God had said. And they would turn back to God, they would repent and turn back to God, and get back on track, and things would get good again, and then they divert off track again. But this says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone, now look, the Bible does not embellish. This says everyone. This is human nature. We do what's right in our own eyes. We do what we think is right regardless of anybody or anything else. And when, when we see that word right, when it, we talk about right, what's right, it means what's convenient, pleasing, seems good to us, makes smooth, level, or easy. Isn't that our nature without God? We want what's convenient. We want what's easy. We want what we think is best for us. But with God, we're able to put ourselves aside allow God to be the focal point and the force that's behind our lives. And that's why abiding is so important. We're grabbing onto God. We're letting go of everything else, grabbing onto God, letting ourselves make God the priority and allowing God to fill us instead of us filling us. And if we don't, then we have this. There was no king in in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We're seeing that in our society in these days. People are looking at each other and saying, you're doing wrong because you're not doing what I'm doing. True? Absolutely true. I am watching, Debbie and I drove, I don't know where it was the other day. I'm watching more people run red lights, run stop signs. Why? Because they just don't want to regard that. They want to do what is right in their own eyes. I don't need to. But what happens when we disregard any, everyone and everything other than ourselves? Do we become beneficial to the people around us or dangerous? Absolutely dangerous. And it's becoming more dangerous in the world we live in. Because people are doing what's right in their own eyes. And I would say we need to check ourselves. Are, are we considering God when we do what we do? Or are we considering ourselves and what we want? Because we're being just like this. And the reason why it said this happened, there was no king. There was no one more important in everyone's eyes than themselves. And so Israel hit a new low. And if there's no one more important in our lives than ourselves, we are going to go down the tubes. We're going to become dangerous. We're going to become detrimental to the people around us. And that's not what God has for us. And so we need to abide. That's going to keep us from being just filled with us. So that we would be filled with god who is loving and selfless and sacrificial and kind and patient and generous and joyful and filled with peace which is what not only our families need our world needs but it won't happen by us just trying it's by us trusting, holding on to God, and allowing him to have his way in our lives. And today, because this, this says there was no king, you know, kings started because the people wanted a king. And we're going to look and see what happened in that time. And then we're going to progress and we're going to look at a couple of kings. One king that, that lived a life of abiding. They, they really wanted God. And one that just wanted what he wanted. So with that, let's pray. If you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Father, for, for your word. Your word is truth. And it sets us free. Father, I pray that you would help us, me and all of your children, to live free of self so that we can live of you and be the blessing that you intended us to be and do the things that you have for us to do to impact and to impart to our families and our friends and our neighbors and our community and our world Father today we thank you that the entrance of your word brings light (laughs) and Father we need We need illumination. We need to see clearly in these days what truth is because everybody's saying they have truth, but only you have truth. And we need Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us so that we can apply your word to our lives, adjusting to you, aligning with you, and we would experience transformation, going from glory to glory. And so, Father, I thank you today for For your word and for your spirit, help me to speak what you want the way you want it. And Father, I pray for each person here that they would hear what you have for them to hear. That rhema word, that now word. To empower and to impart to them what they need in this hour. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. So we're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 8, because uh, when we s- this is where we see Israel coming to a place where they want a king. Now, I have to ask you a question before we begin reading. Um, did Israel, before they had a human king, did they have a king? And who was that? That's right. That's right. And and Jesus is called the king of what? And the Lord of? Yes. Above all the kings of the earth, there is one king, and his name is Jesus. Above all the authority in the earth, there is the final authority, and that is God. And so when things continue to unfold and be revealed, the Bible says at one point in the future, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Israel, having gone through everything that they had gone through, this is after coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, and now they come to this place where uh, they want a king. And so we, we pick this up, and, and one of the things that you need to know is Samuel was a prophet of God. In the Old Testament, God used prophets, priests, and kings to kind of oversee and guide and govern and guard uh, his people. And so we pick this up where in verse 4 and 5 it says, uh, the people are saying this, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old and your sons don't walk in, in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they're looking at at, at what's going on and they're saying, we don't want what we have, we want what everybody else has. You know, FOMO. Fear of missing out. That green grass syndrome where we look and we say, oh my gosh. And this happens all the time, more than ever before, on these platforms that are online where people are showing pictures of their life and it's like every picture is better than the last. Is that reality? How many times do you see train wrecks on on people's posts? Of course not. But that's reality. And so we look at somebody else's life and we think, I want what they have. You don't know what they have. And if they have it, you don't know what it took to get it. And many times we don't want to pay the price. We just want it. And the moment we begin to want what somebody else has, we're already being tripped up in sin. We're lusting and desiring something that someone else has instead of being thankful for what God has done in our lives. I'm going to tell you a real cure for envy is gratitude. The moment you start to envy somebody else, you begin to think about, begin to rehearse in your own mind, God has been so good to me. He's done this and this and this and this and this. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize how good God has been in your life. And if you can't find what God has done that's good, then there is a blindness in your life. If we as Christians got salvation, it's more than what we deserve. <laughs> this isn't anything about what we deserve. I, we'll, we'll make this a little easier. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I was a sinner, and at times I still sin. Oh, I knew I needed to leave this church. (laughs) Listen, if that's why you're leaving the church, don't bother going anywhere because there's no perfect church. And I am saying that facetiously, but I'm telling you that we are all a work in progress. And God is faithful to never give up on us. Why should we ever give up on anybody else or even ourselves? And yet they were given up. They were given up. We we don't want what we've had. Now God had brought them through the wilderness. Didn't he do supernatural things? Miraculous things, amazing things that no one had ever thought about, had ever done, had ever seen, had ever experienced. That's why they called manna, manna. What do you mean? What the word manna means is what is it? There were so many things that they were like, what? 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 We're going through on dry ground? uh, uh, No. What? And yet God did it over and over again. And God's doing that in our lives. God's doing amazing things in our lives. And many times we don't, not only do we not know what it is, we don't even know that he's done it. You know, we'll get to heaven and we'll find out how many times we were saved from situations. And it's, it's not going to be one. With our track record, we've gotten ourselves off track quite often. And just like Jesus told Peter, the enemy wants to sift you. I'm telling you, we have real enemies out there to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. I've prayed. You know, he's still praying. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. And his prayers will prevail. But they wanted to be like all the other nations. The Bible tells us that God called Israel a special people. But do you know in the New Testament you are called a special people? If we're special to God, why would we want what the world has? That's a tough question to answer. Because all the world can give us is something that will last temporarily. And and you know, we get all these lifetime warranties I'm not sure what lifetime they're talking about. The life of a gnat. But things don't last here. But what God gives and what God does lasts forever. And ever. And ever. Why would we waste or spend our time and our efforts on things that are sh- so short-lived because of what the Bible tells us is going on in these days. Many will be deceived. We're deceived into thinking, if I can just get this and just get that and just do this and just do that, then my life will be great. What was the last thing you got that thought you thought was going to make your life great, and now you've had it for a while, and it's not as great as you thought? There are so many things. And so we can't be looking at the world and saying, I, wanna, I want what they have. Because if we're looking at them and wanting what they have, they'll never look at us and want what we have. We have to be able to stand alone. Stand up in the midst of a world that is falling apart with the peace and the security and the stability and the joy and the hope going through the same things that they are, but not the same way, where they'll see, man, I need what you have because that's what we're here to do. We're here to be witnesses. And so they wanted what the other nations had, and they wanted what they wanted, and they couldn't be talked out of it. So we're going to see how this, this transpires. But in verse 6 through 8, uh, it says this. The th- but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Now Samuel had been this go-between between God and the people and the people and God. And so now he hears the people saying, we want, we want a king to judge us. And it displeased Samuel. What happens when you get displeased by what somebody's doing or saying? What's your first choice? What do you, how do you respond or react? Because this is an amazing thing, and this is why we're going through this. Samuel was, was displeased. He was bothered. He was troubled by what they had said. And yet, look at what he does. So he prayed to the Lord. Again, there's such good information here. When, when things happen that displease you, don't talk first. Pray first. Jeremy and I had the opportunity to listen to some really amazing uh, ministers recently in the uh, uh, Massachusetts area. And one said, pray before you say and it was that simple. Pray before you say. And, and it, I like these rhyming things because it's easier for me to remember. I don't always pray before I say. I sometimes say before I pray and then I end up having to pray even more. You know what that's like. But if we'll pray, If God will be, that's what abiding is, if God will be our first source, he'll be our priority, he'll be the one that we turn to, trust in, look to, listen to, rely on before anyone or anything else, man, our lives will be drastically different. And how we interact with other people will be drastically different. Because if we connect with God, if we reach out for God in that moment abiding, And we receive from God before we react to them. Then what's going to happen is we're going to get filled with what God has for us. And it's not going to be so hard for us to be patient or kind or loving or gentle or merciful or gracious. Because we're holding on to God and God is filling us. And as stuff squeezes us, what comes out isn't us, it's God, which is glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And in this hour, the world needs to see the glory of God. The world needs to experience the glory of God. And the way that happens is through you and me, through each one of us. And when they run into a Christian, they're not like, oh, you're another one of those Christians. I met one the other day, and you know what? They waved at me with one finger. Because I saw the bumper stickers on the back of their car. But I saw what came out their window. It should be that when people run into us and find out we're Christians, they're going to relate to us to other people, and all of us are going to have the same character. We're going to have the same love. We're going to have the same kindness and the same peace and the same joy. This fruit that comes when we abide. Because they need it. And we need it from each other. So he prayed. And the Lord said, Samuel... Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have re- not rejected you; they've rejected me. That I should not reign over them. You know, every time we choose to go another way, to look to another source, to align ourselves with another, another uh, way, we're rejecting God. To, s- to say yes to something, we have to say no to something else. We can't do two things. And so we need to recognize every choice we make. Am I saying yes to God? Or am I saying yes to something else? Because if I'm saying yes to something else, I'm saying no to God. And we all know, sitting right here, we all know the moment I say, you say, we say no to God, we're in trouble. We're moving into the realm of sin, missing the mark of God. And when we miss the mark of God, the payoff is death. Some way, somehow, death is going to show up in our lives. Doesn't mean we're going to die that moment, but something is. Something's going to be robbed. Something's going to be stolen. Something's going to be destroyed. Because we're now allowing the enemy by our choice, just like Adam and Eve. By our choice, we're allowing the enemy to work. Now, it's not beyond redeeming. God can redeem it, but we've got we've to learn not to go that way first. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which... They have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even so this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, so he's saying, give them what they want, listen to what they want, give them what they want. How many of you know God will give you? what you're asking for, as long as it's in line with Him. And when it's not, He's going to let you and me go after what we want. He's not going to stop us. Don't you wish God would stop you? Man, I was one of those things I was going to be like, why didn't you help? And understanding that help is assistance, it's not control. And God assists us, he doesn't control us. The enemy controls us, but doesn't assist us. And so in this moment, he says, give them what they're asking for. Because God will not force his will on us. But, or however, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, when God warns us, should we listen? I know that's an obvious question, but, but it's like the stop signs that people are running through. That's not a suggestion. It, it's, it's what's going to keep everybody safe. If they run that stop sign, then they and everybody else are in danger. If we ignore God, we and everybody else we come in contact with can pay a price. God warns us about that. And so he begins to warn them, and and then in verse 10, it starts through verse 18, and I'm just gonna read this through, and I just want you to listen. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said... This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take. We just have to stop there. The first thing that he says, the first action of the behavior of this human king is he will take. And in the following verses, in a course of eight verses, six times, it indicates, it says he will take. He will take, 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 he will take. In our relationship with God, is God a taker or a giver? That's right. God is a giver. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God didn't need us. We need him. And God wanted us so that he could give to us what we couldn't get on our own because he loves us. And yet this human king is going to take. And so it says, he will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be horsemen and some will run before his chariots. That sounds like fun. And he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties and some will... and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and will give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage And will give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep. And you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Anytime we choose anything or anyone other than God to reign in our life, to be what governs us, what guides us, what guards us, what provides for us, we're in trouble. Because anything other than God is just going to take more than it gives every temptation we have the enemy just masterfully wraps it up in a decoration that appears we're going to get so much from it that we couldn't possibly pass it by and yet it too is a deception because whatever it gives the bible says sin has pleasure for a season Whatever it gives will be overwhelmed by what it will cost. And yet we still bite. We still follow. We still are succumbing to these things. And and so it says that that all these things are going to happen, and he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. take. He doesn't say anything about giving. What is he going to give? Well, compared to what he takes, it's going to be negligible. But in the last verse of this, it says, and the Lord will not hear you that day. Ooh. Now, a better translation is, verse 18 is in the New Living Translation, because God always hears you. God hears the cry of the righteous. But understand this, our crying doesn't move God. What moves God? Faith Sometimes we're just crying, and we're crying, and crying, and crying, and crying, and it hurts the heart of God, but we're not crying out to God. We're just crying about what's going on. And so the New Living Translation says, when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. And why is that? Because many times when we get in places where it's uncomfortable and we've gotten off track with God, what we want in our prayers, our prayers are more for relief than they are for repentance. And what is repentance? The word repent means to change your mind, which when we change our mind, we change our action. It means to turn around. Do you know that If we don't really repent, then there's nothing for God to do because we're still doing what we did and we can't, in the midst of what we're doing, say to God, God, forgive me because we've got, we're still tracking with this stuff. God can only redeem what's been repented of. Salvation is for everybody, but why won't everybody have it? Because they won't turn to Christ. Won't turn away from running their own lives and turn to Christ to be Lord of their life. Without repentance, there's no redemption. It's available, but the only way we can receive it is turn to God, to trust in God. That's the same way with sin. Now, please understand, I want to make this clear, because the enemy's going to just beat people up over this if you don't listen. When we come to that place and we repent, there were things in my life that were real strongholds. And I really, truly, one of them was alcohol. Another one was pornography. I really felt awful about it. I knew I was doing wrong. And I would stop at certain points and I'd say, Oh, God, I know this is wrong. I don't want to do this. And I would get rid of everything that was causing me to get tripped up. And I would repent, I would turn back to God, and I would confess my sin. 1 John 1.9 says, when we confess our sin, it's acknowledging, I did this, I made this choice. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In that moment, I'm turning back to him. I'm turning away from what has been ruling my life. I turn back to him to let him rule my life with all all intention of staying that direction. And I'm forgiven because I have confessed my sin. I've said I've sinned, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. And he cleanses us. And I can't tell you how many times over years I would turn back to the temptation and to the sin. And I remember getting to the place where I was like, God, I don't even know if I can face you because I have, I have repented. I've turned away from this so many times, and I keep going back to it, and I, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me repent. And I distinctly remember being aware that in that moment, that I was saying, God, I've done it again, and I just I can't even turn it to you. And I don't know how, but I know that I became very aware that God was like, You did what again? I see it as the first time. Is that because God is old and senile? No, it's because of what God does. When when God forgives us, the Bible says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And it doesn't matter how far you go east, you never get to west. And he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. God does not remember what you repented of when you repented of it last time. He just knows what's going on now. He keeps short accounts. Thank God. And so we can always go to Him, always go back to Him. But understand this God will not be working in our lives until He is invited. You and I control what goes on in our lives. And until we invite, just like until we invite Christ to be Lord of our life, we can't experience salvation until we turn to Christ and give him these situations. Not just crying, oh God, this is so terrible, I'm so sad, I'm so sorry. But God, I have sinned, forgive me, restore me. And he will. Israel was crying about how difficult their tasks were when they were in Egypt, until they cried out to God. God didn't didn't work, because they were just crying. Do tears move God? Tears touch God, but faith moves God. We need to operate in faith. We need to go to him and say, you know what? I, I'm, I am being real with you. I've done this, and I don't want to do this, and I need your help, and I need your forgiveness, and turn back to him and trust in him and track with him. That is so, so important. We acknowledge and we're accountable and then we receive what God has for us. And I've got two more scriptures just to share with you and we'll close up. In verse 19 and 20, it says, Nevertheless, oh my, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Now, it was Samuel speaking to him, but whose words did he speak? God's. God's words. He spoke God's words to the people And they've refused, it's a lot easier to refuse to obey Samuel than it is God. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we may be just like or like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They're exchanging God's supernatural provision, protection, guidance, and governing for human provision, protection, guidance, and governing. How do you think that went for them? We're going to find out. We're going to look at the first two kings Israel had. Now, one king. It was all about him and the other king he was a king that did his best to abide to make god his priority and it was very different and we're going to see how how this this played out in their lives one was very very detrimental and one was very very beneficial as a matter of fact the best king israel ever had outside of god But we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Father, I thank you for your word that won't return void. I thank you that it's life and health to those who find it today. We thank you for healings here today. And it'll go from here as we continue to remind ourselves of your word. Father, we thank you. We thank you for helping each one of us. Sort through all the things that were said here today because there is at least one thing for each one of us. And that word from you today will change our lives. Will impart to us what we need and empower us to be what you have for us to be. Guiding us and governing us and guarding us, and providing for us in ways that nothing and no one else can. So Father, remind us of what was for us, that we can walk in the light as your Word is the light. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, would you stand?